In 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 6, Paul gives Timothy three metaphors for the work of the ministry. First of all, he says the ministry is warfare. Verses 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The ministry is warfare. The enemy, of course, is Satan. The ground we're fighting for is the heart of man. And the Lord's army is composed of the children of God. The Lord's, I'm sorry, the ministry is warfare. The second metaphor that Paul gives to Timothy, the ministry is a contest. Verse 5, if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. This, of course, is talking about an athlete in a race. And once again, let's break down the metaphor here. The child of God is the runner. The will of God is the course that you must run. And the world, the flesh, and the devil are the opponents that you must outrun. Not, not to be saved, but to accomplish the will of God in your life. The third metaphor, the ministry is a harvest. Verse number six, the husbandman, and that's not a word that we use so much uh, commonly in our day, but it is talking about basically a farmer. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. I want you to understand something. We say farm and for some reason, that word has uh, come to mean in our, in our culture, you know, just some hillbilly with a pitchfork and a, and a pickup truck. I want you to understand, farming is and always has been one of the greatest life and death struggles in all of life. Maybe the greatest life and death struggle in all of life. When the crop fails, people suffer. When all the crops fail, people die. And so even though we may, we may not place an exalted uh, emphasis on the word farm, understand that's a, that's a huge concept. The ministry is a harvest, all right? Here's the metaphor. The field, once again, is the heart of man. The crop that we sow and reap and maintain in between is the word of God. And the laborer is the child of God. Let me stop and remind you before we go any farther. That as a child of God, you are in the ministry. God never intended for the work of the ministry to be accomplished only by full-time paid professionals. God intended for every believer to be in the ministry. And one of the things that sets apart our church and our kind of church from Many others, and I'd have to say most others, is that we not only encourage and teach, but we provide opportunities for every believer to be in the ministry. Do you understand, for example, that we don't, and I hope this doesn't push anybody off, but uh, we don't have door-to-door soul-winning ministries primarily to reach Danbury. 
We have door-to-door soul-winning ministries primarily to give the children of God an opportunity to get the gospel out. And that's the truth. That's our, that's our primary motivation for having organized ministries that go out door-to-door so that you have an opportunity. Now, it's the added benefit of the word gets out and people get saved and people come to church. That's great. But the primary purpose is to give you the opportunity to do the work of the ministry. And that's not all the work of the ministry. Not all there is to the work of the ministry, but that's part of it. But God intended for every believer to be in the ministry. Let me say it's an honor to serve the Lord in a church where the core people of the church believe that it's important and it matters to be involved in the work of the ministry. But in general, I would estimate that less than 1% of all believers see themselves as being in the ministry. Well, that's the pastor's job. That's the pastor's wife's job. I'm just a Christian. No, God intended for every believer to be in the ministry. If we had time, I'd take it Ephesians 4 and easily prove that to you. If all believers saw themselves as being in the ministry of the Lord as God intended, we would have reached much more of our world for Christ by now. Uh, let me stop and throw this in. If you weren't here on Wednesday night, this was great. I <clears throat> got a call on Wednesday afternoon from uh, Brother John Barnes, and you know him. And he said, um, actually got a text. He said, uh, this, this couple is on their way to New Hampshire. We met them in Missouri. And uh, they are coming. They're church planners. And I thought that, uh, you know, it was a young man and his wife or whatever age. I just pictured, I hear a church planner, I picture a young man. And uh, his wife, and they're coming out, they're raising support to go somewhere and plant a church. He said they were coming across the, uh, actually, he didn't give me these details. They gave it to me when they got here. He just said they were somewhere south of Newburgh. Well, uh, Tappan Zee Bridge, that's south of Newburgh. And uh, he's somewhere south of Newburgh, and uh, they broke down. Well, it turns out they were uh, coming across 287, and they crossed. They were about to cross the Tappan Zee Bridge, and as he told the story to me when they got here, he said all of a sudden they see a tire passing them on the highway, and he realized that's our, that's our wheel right there. And it's like very similar to the story that, uh, that I told you last week about coming uh, east on 80, except... For, for us, first of all, it wasn't our tire, and secondly, it was just the tire. For them, it was the whole wheel had come off. And uh, the wheel had come off of the RV that they were pulling, and they watched it go across a couple lanes of traffic and come right back and hit their, their own vehicle. And uh, they wound up uh, having to get, get it repaired. I think it was ultimately a, a, a bearings problem, if I'm not mistaken. But they had to leave their RV down there in a parking lot and getting fixed in in uh, near the Tappan Zee Bridge in Terrytown somewhere. And uh, so they got a hold of Brother Barnes, and they said, uh, do you have any place to go to church tonight? And so they, uh, they, they drove up here, and uh, that I'll tell you something, by the way, that this is the closest church, uh, Bible-believing church that they could. There's a couple others there, but this is the closest Bible-believing church that they could uh, think of between here and Terrytown. And uh, the Hudson Valley is a spiritual desert, and we need to pray God to do something about that. But anyway, they drove up here. And uh, here's why I told the whole story. This was not a young couple that had surrendered their lives to plant churches. This is a retired couple that was attending a church, their home church in Missouri, and the Lord touched their heart and said, hey, there's people out there starting churches. They need buildings. You know carpentry. You know building. And you need to give your life and travel this country. 
they're supposed to be retired down in, in uh, Florida someplace, you know, fishing and, and uh, all that. Instead, they're traveling the country with an RV and uh, going to different places. They went, by the way, if you weren't here Wednesday, they went to Brother Arius' church in, uh, in Yonkers. And uh, they, he showed them a piece of property, and they're trying to figure out, and that, it, it still looks impossible. Uh, but they're trying to figure out how to put a, a building. You know, by the way, you know one of the biggest hindrances? My dad was talking to him. He told me one of the biggest hindrances they're going to face being in that location is uh, having volunteer workers build the building, and the union find, unions find out about it, and uh, they're going to give them fits using volunteer workers instead of union workers. Hey, if they can't get volunteer workers, they're not going to do the work anyway, but uh, I guess some folks don't care. But anyway... Uh, but but that's that's their ministry. That's the ministry. That's as, the, as much the ministry as me standing up here behind the pulpit tonight and preaching the word of God. But I thank God and, and praise the Lord for the opportunity to be in a congregation of people that understand that you are in the ministry, or at the very least, you're supposed to be. Now, going back to the text that we read, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. I'm going to do something that I don't usually do. Usually when I preach, I address the contents and the details of the text. And I'll tell you, this is what this means, and this is what this means. We're not going to do that tonight. Instead, for just a few minutes, I'm going to direct our thoughts towards these three metaphors, because this is what you're in. This is what you're a part of. Number one, the ministry is warfare. Number two, the ministry is a contest. And number three, the ministry is a harvest. And I'm not going to take them one at a time. I'm going to take all three of these together and just give you some thoughts. Number one, not only is the ministry warfare and a contest and a harvest, the ministry is the ultimate warfare, the ultimate contest, the ultimate harvest. I praise the Lord for yesterday and the recognition that we give as a nation to our, to our veterans. I praise the Lord for that. And as you look at the wars that have been fought to protect and promote our freedom as Americans, I would not do anything to diminish that warfare. But I have to tell you, the warfare in which you are engaged on a daily basis for the cause of Christ is a much more important warfare. That's not to diminish what our soldiers have done and continue to do. But theirs is for a temporary cause, as great as it is. Hey, there's, there's no greater promoter of patriotism than, uh, well, I hate to say no, none than, than I am, but, but I don't know of anybody that's going to believe in patriotism more than I do. But I'm telling you, the cause that we fight for, no human cause could ever compare to the warfare that we are in. Because this warfare, the spiritual warfare, is forever. And what's at stake is eternal. The souls of men are forever. And when we spend eternity either in heaven or hell, the causes of this world are not going to matter anymore. I hate to say it, and I, I, I love my history, my heritage, I love America, but we're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance in heaven. And 
We're not going to. Oh, we may have fond memories of of uh, <clears throat> American history and and of our American heroes, and and I look forward to meeting those American heroes who knew Christ, and they will be in heaven. And I look for. But let me tell you, the the things that we will be talking about forever will not be the temporal causes for which soldiers have fought. The things that we will talk about forever will be the redemption that has been purchased for us by Jesus Christ and everything that has been done for the cause of Christ. The ministry is the ultimate warfare. Let's stop and just right there just say, yeah, amen. That's somebody say amen, amen. All right, the ministry is the ultimate warfare. And by the way, don't forget that it is warfare. Why does it have to be so hard? Because it's war. We have an enemy. He hates Christ. He hates our cause. And that's why this diesel engine out here has been demon-possessed for the last six months. That's why the state inspector in Hamden on Thursday was demon-possessed. I have no doubt he went home and said to his wife, I don't know what I was thinking, just something got into me. I was a total moron for about ten minutes. Because it's warfare. And it's the ultimate warfare. Don't let your enemy, Satan, get inside your head and convince you, hey, you know that little Sunday school class you're teaching? That really doesn't matter. That's not nearly as important as you sleeping in on Sunday. That's not nearly as important as you know, I mean, everybody else, look what they do with their Sundays. Look at all, look at that beautifully manicured yard that your neighbor has. And as you're pulling out your, in your car and your neighbor's out there detailing his car, oh, it's so perfect. And what are you doing this for? To go teach a couple of snot-nosed kids some Bible stories? What's the matter with you? Don't listen to Satan. He'd love for you to think that. He'd love for you to believe that what you're doing is not. Hey, you need to live for that car. You need to, you need to give yourself. Don't you, don't you go out and try to help people, man. Stay home and get that house of yours to be the show place that, um, that, uh, that's in all the magazines and get your house to look like HGTV, the after part and, uh, get that garage, man, where you've got every screw in the right drawer and everything is so organized. That's how you need to spend your Saturdays. Not with, with some, some door hangers. What are you crazy? Don't listen to the enemy. Amen. The ministry is the ultimate warfare. It's the ultimate contest. Man, we, you know, we, we root for our teams. We root for our athletes. And that's fine. There's, there's nothing. I mean, I, like anything else, it can get out of hand. But I'm not against it. I'd be a hypocrite if I said I was against it. But you see the preparation, the dedication. When, when, I, think of, uh, when I think of somebody who's just focused, I, I, I think of this story, which cracks me up. And it probably won't impress you until you think about it. But, but I've never heard or read of a sports coach more focused than Nick Saban, the, the uh, coach of the, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide football team. 
He is so focused and doesn't want to waste a second. Now, someday he's just going to go crazy because he's too focused. But uh, he's so focused, there's an example of it, that this is the truth. When he, when he arrives at the practice facility, he pulls into the space. I mean, he drives into the space and goes right inside. And while they're inside practicing, he has somebody on his staff whose job it is to go out, start the car, back it up, and, and back it into the space so that he doesn't have to take any time backing in or backing out. That's, I mean, that's too much. (laughs) That's too much. But why does he do that? So that he can be the winningest coach in NCAA football. Um, What he does, it's a contest. Now, it's a big money contest. But it doesn't begin to compare to the contest that we are in. The ministry is the ultimate warfare. It's the ultimate contest. It's the ultimate harvest. Now, I'm using harvest to summarize the whole thing from preparing the ground to planting the seed to fertilizing and watering and getting rid of the pests and everything until it's time to actually uh, harvest the crop. And it's a big, long thing. And I tell you, you have, we have no idea. We have no idea of not being in an, a largely agricultural part of the country. We have no idea what it takes for a crop to succeed. I told you about this uh, when I had come back from Missouri back in uh, March, and it just blew me away as this, this farmer uh, took me on, a, took, took a bunch of us on a tour of his property and said that it cost, it, it cost him $650,000 just to get the crop in the ground for one season. Can you imagine that? That's unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I'm listening to him talk, and I'm thinking to myself, there's not a greater businessman in the world than a dedicated farmer. But you know something? And I respect that man. He's a tremendous man. I wish you could have the opportunity to meet him. Tremendous man. But what he does, by the way, he's also the, the leading influence in his local church. That man uh, has done more for his local church than any other man in his church. So he takes his spiritual harvest more seriously than he takes his physical harvest. And, and I could give you examples to prove that if we had the time. So even that man understands that, yes, what he harvests is very good and very important. Do you know, let me give you an example of that. This is, this is awesome. They, uh, they, have to, they have so much crop that they spend their winter and the early part, late part of winter, early part of spring, they just keep on hauling, I think it's corn and soybeans, if, I'm not, if I remember right, uh, to, to buyers and just one load after another. Well, they have a couple of their own trucks, but it's not enough. So they have to hire outside trucks and outside drivers. And that, uh, when we were there in that service and testimony time, he was giving testimony about how he was witnessing to this one, this one driver. And every time he came in, he'd be witnessing to him, witnessing to him. Finally, uh, I've, I, don't, I feel like it was by the end of the week or maybe been a follow-up or something, but somehow I came to find out that he finally won that truck driver to the Lord. Why? Because here's a man who, yeah, his whole livelihood is built on a physical harvest, but he understands that there's a far greater 
and more important harvest that he's a part of, and that's the spiritual harvest. I say the ministry is the ultimate warfare, the ultimate contest, the ultimate harvest. Would you take that thought to the jobs that you do for the Lord, the tasks that you perform for the Lord? I love it when I see evidence that people looked at a task and said, I've got to get this right. This is for the Lord's work. I've got to make sure that everything is set up just right because there's people coming in and this building will be the impression that they get of the Lord. This, how many of you ever been in a restaurant and saw maybe a mouse run across the floor while you're, you're, you're like, oh my goodness, I have, I haven't seen any hands, but I, I sure have. And uh, you go, now, now I can, I can handle it. I'm going to sit there and finish my meal as long as he doesn't like get in the, in the soup bowl. But, but it gives me an impression of the place where I'm probably not going back. There's not going to be in the top of my list of places I want to go back to. What kind of impression do people get when they come here and they see? Now, now people can perceive, and I know this from interacting with people, people can perceive when someone is, is a person who makes things happen or somebody who's just visiting for the first time and just kind of showing. Do you know, by the way, this is so awesome. And uh, uh, we had uh, a young man come last week, sharp young man, first-time visitor, and... Uh, it was testimony time. I'm hearing voices. Maybe that's just me hearing voices. But uh, we had a, a visitor show up last week. And uh, come to find out, he's in, he's in Danbury. Zach followed up on them last, uh, last week. And he wasn't home but met, met the young man's parents. And he's going to seminary. And uh, as he's preparing, he's, he's working a full-time job. He's going to seminary. And they didn't really give a lot of details about it except to say, and preparing for seminary, he's just going from, from church to church in town to see what they do. Man, you didn't even know it, but your job that you do for the Lord had an impact on somebody who's preparing to serve the Lord. I, 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 I enjoy that. I love that. That's great. And then part of me wonders, I wonder what kind of impression he got of a New Testament independent Baptist Bible-believing church. A bus running church. You know, he, he goes away and in his mind, he's okay. This is one of them King James churches. This is one of them. The preacher gives an invitation churches. This is one of them. Uh, they run buses to reach people churches. And uh, we're in that unique category. I wonder what, what kind of uh, an impression he got from, from what he saw here. What, he said, why does that matter? We're trying to press him. No, he's going out to do the work of the Lord. He's going, out to, he's going out to impact other people for Christ. And I wonder if what he saw here, and i got to tell you, this, I gotta, uh, there's a piece of paper here. Um, what, he, uh, what he sees right here, I wonder what kind of impression that's going to have on what kind of ministry he chooses to have. Every job you do, you're in the ultimate warfare. You're in the ultimate contest. You're a part of the ultimate harvest. It never lets up. Or if you've ever been friends with a, with a farmer of any kind. And I used to have, in high school, had good friends who were dairy farmers. And no matter what you did, if they were going to be a part of it, it had to fit their schedule. <coughs> they couldn't do anything at, uh, 
7 o'clock in the morning. Why? Because they were just finishing up milking at 7 o'clock in the morning. And every day, up at 4 o'clock, 4.30, out there to milk. I mean, seven days a week. You can't, you can't call off. The cows don't let you call off. And uh, same thing in the evening. All right, let's have that activity at 5 o'clock. Oh, we can't come if we do it at 5 o'clock. Why? Because it's full-time full all the time. You know, we are in the ultimate warfare, the ultimate contest, the ultimate harvest, and we've got to stop thinking that we can just not show up for it. If we're going to impact people for Jesus Christ, we've got to stop thinking. And, and, and listen, listen, folks, I, am, I understand, I understand, and I worked, I worked uh, plenty of my time as a pastor at a, at a uh, second job, which was a full-time job, and at times a third, fourth, and fifth job all at the same time. I fully understand that uh, you don't want to miss work. you got to get a paycheck. But it's, it's, a little, it's a little crazy that the only time we ever get sick is on Sunday. It's a little crazy. You say, well, you don't understand. I do understand. I do understand. I don't hammer this too hard, but I would say to you, don't just see uh, Sunday as your, your fallout day. Sunday's my backup day. Sunday's my reserve day. That tells what you think of the ultimate warfare, the ultimate contest, the ultimate harvest, if that's the way you think of Sunday. Because Sunday is the big day in the Lord's work. The job you do. A cleaning job. I'm talking about somewhere in the church. It's something that you maintain, something that you take care of, making sure it's just right. I'm talking about the people that you uh, talk to and, and, and what you, you come to uh, on Sunday to make sure that everything is exactly right. And uh, you make sure that people are treated just right. And you put up with, listen, you're going to be in the ministry. You're going to have to put up with people's crazy comments. Now, I'm not talking about me putting up with you right now. That's not what I mean at all. I'm talking about all of us. Because I don't put up with you. I'm, that was poorly worded. Uh, I'm, I'm talking about all of us. Okay. Remember that show? The kids say the darndest things. And I'm not probably supposed to say darndest from the pulpit, am I? But um, says my editor. But, uh, you know, new believers and lost people say the darndest things. And most of the time, you just let them. You just let them. Why? Because they don't know. They don't know. And, but you, you take it. They'll insult you right to your face. And uh, they'll have their commentary about, uh, you know, this, that, and the other thing. What do you do? You let them most of the time. Sometimes you got to correct them because there's somebody else listening, and they shouldn't be hearing that. I remember when I used to uh, drive folks home from the, we, we would bring folks on Sunday night in a white van, and uh, Brother Ken had to get up early on Monday morning, so I would take, sometimes take them back. And, uh, they would come to church. I'm talking about 15 teenagers would come to church, and they would just act perfectly while they're in church. And we would hit that white van, and it would be foul, foul, filth, and foul all the way home. And I mean, and I don't mean um, aggressively filth and foul. I just mean, you know, that, that four-letter word was, in, was five times in every sentence. That was their habit. That's the way they lived. And I mean, I'd drive home and I'd, I'd hear people back there saying, uh, man, we had a blank and good time in church tonight, didn't we? Oh, I, boy, I, I blank and love this church. I'm not kidding you. No exaggeration and a lot worse than that. 
When I was driving by myself, I never corrected them. Why? Because we're bringing, one of, one of the things we're trying to accomplish here is to take people from where they are to where they need to be. Amen. And I would never correct them until once in a while my son would ride with me. So now here he is, uh, eight years old, nine years old, and he'd be riding back there. And, and I, then I would say, hey, guys, watch the language. My son's in here. And they would. They would respect that. But when there was nobody in there to influence, I'd let them do their thing. He said, I don't agree with that. Okay, well, there's a church down there now, and I'm not saying I made it happen, but praise the Lord, I didn't hinder it. I'm saying people say some wild things. What do you do? Let them do their thing. Hey, we are soldiers in the ultimate warfare. We are athletes in the ultimate contest. We are laborers in the ultimate harvest. Let me point this out also. The ministry is never-ending warfare, contest, and harvest. We, are, we have never reached our ultimate goal in the work of the Lord. Remember that. Oh, there we, well, we had this great day. We, we had these people saved. We, we must have reached the goal by now, right? Nope. As long as we're alive, we've never reached our ultimate goal. For one reason, we haven't yet perfect, perfected every believer. I love the verses, and I mention them often in Colossians chapter 1, where Paul says that we labor that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Well, we're never going to be there in this lifetime. There's always going to be a little bit more that we have to help people to grow, and there's always going to be someone else that we need to impact for Jesus Christ. And listen, sometimes, can I just be frank and, and we all understand this? Sometimes there are great gaps of time in between that last person that you personally influence for Christ and that next person that you personally influence for Christ. You say, man, I tell you, people are getting saved at church every week. That's, that's great. But I don't remember the last time I even had the chance to witness to somebody. You know, 10 slammed doors or 10 people not home or 10 people pretending they spoke Spanish or, you know, I, I just, I don't remember the last time. What do you do? You keep going until that next time, until that next time, because the ministry is never-ending warfare. It's a never-ending contest. It's a never-ending harvest. Don't, don't get discouraged. Keep fighting that war. Hey, don't quit, don't give up. Keep on working and running in that contest. And keep on working the harvest. You will never, we will never in this lifetime reach the last soul. We're never going to have, I think the last time I checked, the attendance for Danbury was 84,992. So I usually just round it up to 85,000. We will never be able to say, well, that's it. We're 85K for 85K. We've won them all. No. So what do we do? We keep on knocking. We keep on passing out those tracks. We keep on giving the gospel. We keep on treating people right. We keep on loving people. We keep on praying. We keep on serving because the ministry is never-ending warfare. It's a never-ending contest. It's a never-ending harvest. Oh, you'd be very encouraged if you knew how close to the end of the message we are right now number three the ministry is the most rewarding warfare 
It's the most rewarding contest. It's the most rewarding harvest. No, you don't walk around with all kinds of medals on your coat like, like a, a decorated soldier does. You don't have all kinds of trophies for the people that you've won to Christ like an athlete does. <laughs> you certainly don't have a, a $100 million a year contract for being a Sunday school teacher. You don't have uh, barns and barns and barns filled with products that you're ready to send out to the buyer. You don't have that to show. But I'll tell you what you do have. You have the privilege, as long as you live, of knowing that there are people all over this area that you have impacted for Jesus Christ. I have to tell you, a week hardly goes by where we don't run into somebody that says something, at some point in their life they were impacted by your ministry. This is your ministry. This is not Joe Vasek's ministry. This is your ministry. And hardly a week goes by where we don't run into somebody who tells us that, and when I say us, I'm not just using the grammatically correct whatever there. I'm saying basically my wife and myself, but also many of you have, have told stories of this. Uh, my wife, for example, was in Stop and Shop in New Fairfield the other day. And a lot of you don't even know there is a Stop and Shop in New Fairfield. I shouldn't have told you that because you can keep going to the crowded ones and we'll go up there where nobody is. And uh, anyway, but uh, Stop and Shop in New Fairfield. And she was going up to pay and uh, she looked at the lady, and the lady looked at her, and she looked at the lady, and the lady looked at her. And uh, right away, they, they, they were hesitant. You know how it is. We haven't seen somebody in a while. And uh, the lady behind the cash register was somebody who has come to our Sunday dinner, and she came. Uh, she used to come time after time after time. And they had a thing. Amy and her had a thing. What's her name? Elia. Uh, they had a thing where every Sunday dinner, they just took a picture together. And uh, their, their Sunday dinner selfie, I guess, and hashtag SD selfie. And uh, they would, uh, she and Ely would take, and uh, Amy said, Elia? And uh, she right away, she recognized her, and she said, yeah. And uh, uh, she hasn't been the last couple of Sunday dinners. And Amy said, I've been worried about you. Well, I got this job here, and it's going great, and it's awesome. Uh, somebody up in New Fairfield who came to our, our Sunday dinner, I was uh, shaking hands this morning, and, and uh, Cynthia Barr walked out. She said, oh, I had a, a, a patient this week. Uh, Cynthia Barr uh, does uh, physical therapy. She said, I had a patient this week. And I don't know how the subject come up, came up, but she said, uh, he listens to our church's radio broadcast every week. Well, praise the Lord. That is awesome. Hardly a week goes by. Not to mention things like this, uh, uh, the couple that, uh, that has been coming and their family. That, uh, the, the, this is the fellow that just showed up a few weeks ago and said, uh, I need a church for my family. and I don't know how to do it. And I said, well, I'll teach you. And uh, they've been, they haven't missed a week since then. And the husband and wife got uh, saved Sunday morning a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the boys now uh, ride the bus just because they enjoy riding the, the church bus. And, uh, but the, the, they, the wife, when she first came, she said, you know, I used, to, I used to come to Sunday school when I was a kid. Well, she was talking about Brewster. And then she brought her sister. And I recognized the sister immediately because her sister came more often than she did. 
and uh, she's aged, you know, almost 20 years and hasn't really, her face hasn't really changed. And, uh, but, but uh, week after week, I'm telling you, hardly a week goes by where, where I'm not in a store somewhere or uh, a drive-through. That's, you know, one of my, my main places. Or, or I knock on somebody's door. And somebody, you remember me? This uh, I told you the story, but the the uh, the new mechanic that we used to get this bus rolling, and uh, called the secretary, and she started to interview me to make sure I was the right guy before she announced that uh, yeah, I I used to I used to come to Sunday school at your church, and uh, that is a regular occurrence. Somebody that has heard our church's broadcast, somebody who has has uh, visited our church, somebody who's gotten saved. Can I say this? First of all, the longer that you do the work of the ministry, you're going to have those experiences for yourself. Now, that means you've got to be careful when you go to the mall. You know what I mean? You can't be dancing to all those songs they're playing because uh, somebody's going to say, weren't you my Sunday school teacher? But, but more importantly than that, I think that's just a little taste of what heaven's going to be like. And in heaven, all of, the, all of the blinders are going to be taken off. You know, every one of our radio broadcasts has a gospel presentation at the end where somebody can very easily put their faith in Jesus Christ. And this morning as the, the broadcast went off the air and I listened to the gospel presentation, I said to my wife, I wish there was some way of knowing how many people over the years have put their faith in Christ as a result of that gospel presentation. I wish there was some way of knowing of the tens of thousands of tracks that we have put on people's doors who weren't home. How many times somebody came home and read the tract and at the end prayed the sinner's prayer and and gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. But I tell you when we are going to find out when we get to heaven. When we get to heaven, and heaven is going to be a, just, this is just a foretaste of what it's going to be like when you have spent your life doing the work of the ministry. I have to wonder what it's going to be like when you have somebody from the other side of the world. And I believe the Lord's going to give knowledge and understanding to people to know this thing, to come around and say, your faith promise kept this missionary in this country, and I got saved. And thank you for that. Your prayers, you prayed, and you prayed every day for God to bless and for God to work, and your prayers led to my salvation. I'm saying that the ministry is the most rewarding warfare. It's the most rewarding contest. It's the most rewarding harvest. Here is why... I preached this message tonight, and I'm all done. How about that? This is, this is, uh, this is awesome. Um, we could play volleyball now. But um, here's why I preached this tonight. Because I'm tempted to get discouraged sometimes, too. You know, I'm, I'm riding over the, to, uh, in, the, in the bus. I can't drive the bus because uh, my, my, um, uh, in my, my, they make you do a physical card when, to have a CDL. And New York was purging its CDL drivers a couple of years ago. And uh, I couldn't get a physical. I went to get my physical to get that thing renewed. And I found out something I didn't know. 
The doctor said, you're on insulin. I can't, I can't do this. It says right in the instructions, if you're taking insulin, you're, you're a risk to drive, uh, to have your CDL. And uh, so I had to give up. I can't drive a bus. I'm, I'm still, I'm going to get it, uh, hopefully within the next couple of months. But, uh, I, but so my father drove the, the bus over. And uh, this is Thursday. We're driving over to Hamden. That's a long drive in a bus. And, uh, you know, he's retired. He's supposed to be in Arizona or someplace, just living a good life, you know. And uh, here he is driving a bus over to a place only to have the state inspector send us home on some stupid, stupid technicality, which the DMV lady said was a stupid, well, I'm putting words in her mouth, but her rolled eyes and the number she gave me to report him told me that it was a stupid, stupid technicality to drive all the way back. And now we got to do it again on Tuesday. And if the bus fails inspection because the horn is a half note off, you know, <laughs> what it's supposed to be, uh, you know, oh, that's a, that's, that's, the horn is a half step sharp or flat, whatever. Um, then we'll have to go and do it again. What is that? That's the ultimate warfare. And, but as I'm riding that bus and where it's all back roads over to where we were going from, from 84, uh, from exit 11, all the way, the rest of the way for another 45 minutes to an hour beyond that, it's just side roads. And I'm sitting riding that bus and I'm getting angry and I'm getting angry about, man, we, we wasted, I wasted my father's whole afternoon and evening here. And I'm reminded, Hey, this is the ultimate warfare we're in. I mean, soldiers, you know, getting a Jeep or a tank or a utility vehicle and just rode all night just to stand guard in one spot for a couple of hours because that's what they were called upon to do. This is the ultimate warfare. This is the ultimate contest. This is the, the ultimate harvest is what we're involved in. Stay in there. Stay encouraged. Stay motivated. Stay close to the Lord. And don't ever forget that the next task you perform will help bring somebody closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the ultimate victory. Let's stand together. We'll have a word of prayer.